Well, let me say good morning again and now welcome also to those of you who are joining us, not only here in the contemporary service, but those of you who are joining us in the traditional sanctuary via broadcast and online. I'm glad that we're all able to be together here learning from God's word together like this. And speaking of which, uh, ushers in both of our worship venues are going to be coming up the aisles in just a second with Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, if you have one, if you have one with you, that's great, or on your phone or tablet, you can use that. If you don't have one with you, I'd love for you to have the opportunity to follow along with the Bibles that are here in our worship venues. We're learning from a really important passage of scripture this morning, one that's often misunderstood. I think it's a really important passage for Christians to understand what it is that God is doing in Jesus. What did God mean by sending Jesus into the world? I think this is also a passage that's super important, actually, for those of us who might not know, if you don't know what you think of Jesus yet. This is a great passage for that. If maybe you're here kind of at the start of the year, kind of a new thing, maybe new opportunity to connect with God in your life, and you're still figuring this thing out, I think this passage today actually is a, is a great place to start because the main characters in the story are in a very similar place in their life, actually. We're, we're reading this passage today as we start a new worship series together called Shine. And we're doing this series called Shine as part of a season in the traditional Christian year that's called Epiphany. Today, you may not have known this, today is a day called Epiphany Sunday. Now, I know it might seem a little strange at first to think that today is the start of a season because for most of us, today is just one more day in that season that we think of as endless winter. It just goes on and on. I get past Christmas, I start thinking like winter's almost over, it's first of the year, like, and then February comes around and I'm all, you got to temper your expectations, keep that down, right? But today is the first day of a season called Epiphany. And in the Christian year, Epiphany is a season of light. It is a season for seeing, of revelation, a season for understanding. Think of it like this. Have you ever in your house, like, you just turned off the last light before you go to bed and you're, like, trying to walk over your bedroom, or, or you got up in the middle of the night because you were thirsty and you need a glass of water, you're walking through a pretty dark time in your house. You can't see what's going on. And out of the corner of your eye, you see something, right? And maybe you don't know what it is. You kind of turn and you're a little startled. It looks like somebody's in your house, you know. And, and you blink and you walk around and you look at it. Maybe you even turn the light on and you realize that the thing that was threatening you is your vacuum cleaner. It's a terrible, scary thing. Or a coat hanging over a door or something like that, right? Epiphany is like a season for seeing, for turning the light on and seeing what you had seen only the silhouette of and weren't so sure what it meant for you. Epiphany is a season of seeing. Or have you ever had the experience where You've been having this conversation with somebody, and, and you've had the same conversation three, four, five times, and it goes on and on, and you just can't figure out why they think about the thing the way that they do or why they're reacting the way they do. You just don't get it. And finally, you have the sixth or the seventh or the eighth, con eighth conversation, and they say something, and finally, snap, you get it. Like, you, you go, oh, I, or maybe it's not even in conversation with them. Maybe it's like the next day or something, and some circumstances happen, and it gives you a flash of insight. And what you have had is an epiphany, right? You go, oh, I get it. I see now what this is about. Epiphany in the Christian year is a season for seeing what God is up to in Jesus. It's a season for reading the stories of Jesus' life, for looking at the life and the teachings of Jesus from a variety of angles and seeing hopefully better and more clearly than we have seen before. And traditionally, the season of Epiphany starts on Epiphany Sunday, and we usually on this day will reread the story of the Magi. The Magi are these, these visitors, the kind of strange, mysterious visitors that we read about in our Bible readings in both of our worship venues here this morning who come see Jesus from the east. They're the people that usually in Christmas time we call them the three wise men or the three kings, something like that. Except, honestly, the Bible never says there were three of them. That just kind of creeped up in tradition. And I have no idea how wise they were, so I'm not going to call them the three wise men. We'll just call them magi. That's what the Bible calls them. 
And the story of the Magi is a great story for helping us see that what God is doing in Jesus is, among other, many other things, it's way out in front of us. God, God is way out in front of us. He did not check for our permission. He did not make sure that we were okay with what he was going to do before he did it. He's way out in front of us, and there's the danger that we will fall behind. God's way out in front of us. Let me, uh, let me tell you a story about this. The, the first time that I learned a version of this lesson, I was 19 years old. I was a sophomore in college coming into the summer after my sophomore year. And I was preparing to go serve as a short-term Christian missionary in Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan is a, a former Soviet republic. It's in Central Asia, due north of India, and it shares a short piece of a border with China. I used to always say Kazakhstan, and nobody had any idea where that was. But now you can say it's one of the stands, and people kind of know where that is now because that's been in the news a lot more in the last years since I was 19. So um, <laughs> it's getting to be a lot longer than I realize. Uh, some of you have heard me talk about this time before, but it was actually in the preparation for this trip that I learned this lesson. There was five or six or seven of us college students who were going on this trip together. And we did, like every month we got together for a weekend for some training. And there was this very wise Christian man who kind of taught the class or led the training sessions. He, he was a wise, faithful guy. He had lived and worked and served God all over the world and had a lot of opportunity to mentor us. And I remember him saying this one time. And he, he looked at us and he said, I want you never to forget this. Don't you ever forget that you are not taking God anywhere. You're not taking God anywhere, okay? So he's talking to like a bunch of 19, 20-year-olds, probably pretty full of ourselves, and we're, gonna, we're getting ready to travel as Christian missionaries to a Muslim country, and we, you know, I don't even remember anymore, but I imagine we were probably pretty prone to think that we were like taking God to the masses or something like that. He said, you're not taking God anywhere, if that's what you're thinking. God is already there. He is, he is way out in front of you. God is way out ahead of you. God is taking you somewhere, so that you can go keep up with what he's doing, so that you can be the hands and the feet and the voice for him in the place where he is already at work. He's way out in front of you. Let's have you try to catch up now. now that's an important lesson. Now, that was an important lesson for us that summer, but I have found that lesson to be actually way more important and way more useful for me ever since then than it was simply in that one summer. And one of the ways that lesson has been important for me has been in the opportunities that I have to share my own experience of God in Christ with other people, to share my faith with other people. If you are a Christian, I imagine you have at some point or another felt awkward about sharing your faith with somebody else and struggle to do that and don't know when that's appropriate or how to do it or what to say and how not to be a jerk and, you know, or something like that. It's hard. You, you feel like you're trying to shoehorn God into a conversation where he doesn't fit and, and nobody feels good about that, you know. And it's different if you believe that God is already out there in front of you. It's different if you believe that God is already at work in the lives of people that you love and care about before you ever got there. You didn't have to bring God there. You didn't have to manipulate God into that place. You didn't have to manufacture that God's already there. Let me give you an example. Imagine the friends, coworkers, family members, people you love and care about who don't know Jesus. And you just start to wonder to yourself. It changes the questions that you think about in your head. You start to wonder to yourself, I wonder if, I wonder if God is at work in their life. I, I wonder if... I wonder if they're hurting somehow. Is there something in their life that, that's hard for them? And, and maybe the reason that God has me in their life right now is just so I can be like a point of light for them, so that I can share a story of hope or healing that I found in Christ, not to tell them that it has to happen for them in exactly the same way that it happened for me. I can't prescribe that. But I can testify to the experience that I had. Maybe, maybe God's been at work in their life ahead of me, and he's just brought me along to play this role on this day, and I just share what God's done in my life. Maybe this person is struggling to make sense of something that is happening in their life or has happened in their world. And, 
And maybe God has just brought me into this person's life at, at this point, not, not to make or manufacture or manipulate God into doing something, but here at this place to play this role, to be the hands, feet, voice of God in this place, to share how I went through something that was pretty hard and, and how it was that my faith in God helped me make sense of that. Or maybe this person is someone who's just lonely. There's just not somebody with them in their life, and they just, they just feel lonely. And, and what God is doing in their life is bringing me into their life to just stand with them, just, just sit with them, just whatever it is, and bear witness to the, the presence and the love of Christ for them and give somebody else the opportunity to tell the next story. It just makes a big difference when you imagine that God might already be at work here and I can trust what God is doing and I can play my part in that process. That's one big way that that lesson makes a difference for me to know that God is already out there in front of me. But, but that's far from the only way. I don't even think it's the biggest way. I mean, a lot of us ask ourselves, you wonder sometimes, I wonder what God is up to here. I mean, what, what might God be doing in my life? Is God out in front of me somehow? Is he leading me somewhere? And, and what are the kinds of things that are likely for God to be doing? What are the kinds of things that are likely that it's just something bad I ate for dinner last night? You know, what, what are the priorities that God would have in my life? Fortunately, I think, those are, I think those are questions that all of us struggle with, that all of us want answers to. Fortunately, as we enter Epiphany, we read the story of the Magi, I think there's a story that can really help us make some progress in those questions. I'm not saying that this story will tell you, you know, if you're at a crossroads in life, which job you should take or which car you should buy or what clothes you should wear tomorrow. It's not what this is about. This is about shining some light on our relationship with God and on the character and the priorities of God in Jesus Christ so that, so that we understand what the priorities are that help us make all those other kinds of decisions. So let's turn to that Bible story here. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 2 if you have a Bible with you or electronic Bible. Or if you have the Quest Bible uh, that's here in our worship venues, you can turn to page 1412 if that makes it easier for you to find. This is Matthew chapter 2, and I'm just going to review, I'm going to reread the first two verses to start with as we get the start of the story. This is what it says there. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, right, so right after the first Christmas, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And that's, that's where King Herod was. And asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. All right, let me just first uh, give a little background here, introduce who these magi were. Okay? The Bible says the magi came from the east. And, and what they mean by that is they came from a place that you might know as Persia. Or most often in Jesus' day, they call that Parthia. That was the empire of Parthia out in the east. It was the same land area that would now be uh, in the countries of Iraq and Iran. And the, the physical descendants of the people group from whom the Magi came, the Magi were just one set of this people group, but the descendants of that people group are today called the Kurds. And so to just give you some idea of kind of the part of the world and the people we're talking about, that these mysterious Magi are not like ghosts or fictional characters or something. They're real people in real places that still has a connection to where we are today. And the Magi lived among these people, and the Magi were religious leaders. They were, you could think of them as like pagan priests. They were priests of other gods. And they were reputed to be able to kind of divine the will of God or discern the movements of, I shouldn't say God, I should say the gods because they would have worshipped many. To discern kind of the movements of the gods, especially by interpreting dreams. They were famous for being dream interpreters, or that's what they were reputed to be. And they also kind of had some fame for interpreting signs in the night sky. You could think of them as having the reputation of like ancient astrologers. Now these, these are the magi. And the ancient Parthian empire that they were a part of 
was the other superpower in the world at that day. Okay, so the Roman Empire was one, the Parthian Empire was another. If you think of like the United States and the Soviet Union in the second half of the 20th century, for those of you who remember the second half of the 20th century, these were the two great superpowers in the world and always tension between them and Rome and Parthia had border conflicts and the border would move from time to time as they would invade one another. And the Magi were like among the religious priestly leaders of that people. And for, because of historical connections and historical influences, it's very likely that these magi actually knew something about the, the Old Testament in the Bible. That they had heard the prophecies of the ancient Israelites that God had sent to them by their prophets, that God would one day send a king, a messiah, a savior. And that's because the ancient Israelites had been exiled into the land of the magi, into Persia or Parthia, a couple hundred years before. And many of those Israelites never actually went back home again. They just kept living there. And so they had the, the Old Testament. They had the Bible in that place. And so these religious leaders, these magi probably had heard the promises that one day the great and mighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, whom his people call Yahweh, would one day send a king, a savior, an anointed messiah, to rule his people and to be king for the whole world. They, they had heard those prophecies. And now here in this story, the Bible tells us that God reached out to the Magi, that he sent them a sign of some kind and invited them to come and see this king. I mean, these Magi are strange, exotic people as far as most Israelites are concerned. God is way out in front of what the Israelites were imagining. The, the, the Magi, they are not like Mary and Joseph and even the shepherds, for goodness sake. They're not like any of those people. They're not Israelites. They don't honor God. They don't obey God's law. God is way out in front of where his people imagine that he could possibly be. But he has called them to come and see Jesus. And you can see how far out in front of his people God is in what happens when they get to Jerusalem. They get to Jerusalem, and the Magi go to King Herod. And I think it tells us something about the Magi, that they were able to gain an audience with the king. That's pretty significant, right? They go to King Herod, and they say, where is the one who is to be born king of the Jews? That's awkward, because Herod is the king of the Jews, so that's going to be not a good way to introduce yourself. But they get there, and uh, uh, remember how, how this scene, that Herod is king of the Jews, okay? And he has been made king of the Jews. He's been appointed to that role by the king of Rome. That's the, that's the big power in this area because Israel is in the borderlands of the Roman Empire, not the Parthian Empire. So the, the king of Rome, Caesar Augustus, has appointed Herod to be under king of this little colony, king of the Jews. Herod, king of the Jews, is now entertaining guests, visitors, from his boss, Rome's chief ally, Parthia, and they come and they go, where's the one who's born as the new king of the Jews? I mean, this scene could not be more charged with implications of power and fear and awkwardness and emotion. And so, you know, the next verse in this story here, if you still have your Bibles open, it's still page 14, 12. Matthew 2, verse 3 says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. <laughs> and all Jerusalem with him. You bet he was disturbed. And it wasn't just him. This wasn't just some, like, private deal for Herod. This had implications for their whole society if the new king had been born. And king is the operative word here. King is the key word in this story. Every single episode, as we read the Gospel of Matthew, this life story of Jesus, every single episode at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew is designed to set us up to understand that God has sent the new king, that Jesus is the king. The very first part of the Gospel of Matthew, first half of Matthew chapter 1, is a genealogy. It's the part that says so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so eventually begat Jesus. That's the part that if you've ever read the Gospel of Matthew, you skipped right over at the beginning because that was the boring part. It's not really, well, yeah, it kind of is the boring part, but it's important information in there. 
The main point of that genealogy is to say that Jesus is descended from the line of David. King David, the great King David a thousand years before. And there's actually a number of really cool features of that genealogy that I won't talk about right now. But it's, it's designed to show us that Jesus is descended from King David. And then, when you get to the, ne- the first action episode, the next section of Matthew chapter 1, it begins this way. It says, now, that was his lineage. Now, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. And we read that, and we just like, right over top of that. But the word Messiah means king. It's, it's the anointed king that God had promised to send to rule and save his people. So now we know that he came from David. This is how the birth of the king came about. And in that episode, an angel is sent from God to Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. And when the angel Gabriel appears to Joseph in a dream, he does not start by saying, hey, Joe, guess what? He says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Now, if, we, if you had read the genealogy, we would all know this, but Joseph's father's name is not David. <laughs> Joseph's father's name is Jacob. It's just that nobody cares about that. Poor Jacob. <laughs> Jacob doesn't matter. What matters is that Joseph is the great, 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 whatever grandson of King David because Jesus is being born into the royal family. And then Jesus is born, and then these, uh, these magi come from the Parthian Empire into the palace of King Herod, and they go, where's the one who's be born king of the Jews? And they look up in the Bible and find that God's Messiah king is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so they go to Bethlehem to honor the king. And they bring him the kingly gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I realize I'm being subtle about this, but the point of the story is that Jesus is the king, right? It is God's desire and it is God's plan that Jesus would be the king of his people and the king for all people. That's the epiphany. That's the revelation. It is the revelation of God's king. And... It is God's will and God's desire and God's plan that Jesus would be king. It is also God's will and desire and plan that we should know about it. God's not keeping it a secret anymore. He has revealed it even to the magi. He has shined the light of an epiphany on the world. He's way out in front of his people. He has even revealed it to the magi, and they have come to honor the king. The danger in all of this, God is way out in front of us. The danger is that we will choose to stay behind. That's the danger. And that's what happens in the story, as a matter of fact. Remember, this, this is what happens. The Magi come to, this, to the palace where Herod is, and they ask Herod, where is the one who's, who's been born king of the Jews? Herod has no idea. He doesn't know the Bible. He's not, a, he's not a religious leader, not a faithful guy. He turns to the chief priests and the religious leaders of the people of Israel, and he asks them. And they know. They turn to the Bible. They look it up in the Bible. Pretty good idea, right? So far, so good. They look it up. They find in the prophet Micah, chapter 5, as a matter of fact, it says there that the Messiah would be born in the city of Bethlehem in the land of Judea. So the chief priests, the religious leaders, the faith leaders of God's people turn to the pagan magi priests and tell them that their God has promised that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And the pagan magi priests go to Bethlehem to honor God's king and the leaders of God's people sit back down on the couch and wave them goodbye. They choose to stay behind. The caravan goes to Bethlehem and they don't go anywhere. They stay right there in the palace of King Herod and honor that king. This is not a smart choice. They do not go to honor God's king. They do not go take their gifts to God's king. They do not go pledge their loyalty to God's king. They are completely uninterested in the birth of God's king, even though they are active religious people. That got uncomfortable for me right there at the end. Anybody else? The problem for me is that if I read this story and I look for the character that I identify with in the story... It's the religious leaders of God's people. It's the one who looks up stuff in the Bible and tells other people about it. 
And I know that I'm the one who's standing here right now and we're all gathered together in this room, but I think that's the closest analogy for most of us who are the religiously active people in the story. The problem is that these religious leaders of God's people were just too enamored of their present situation. They were, they were too in love with their own position of power or influence, too attached to their current life or lifestyle or pattern that they're involved in, and they were not interested in the new thing that God was doing in his king to save the world and save them. That was a frightening thing. They were religiously active people with no devotion to Jesus. Have you ever had like an epiphany, the kind of thing, like whether it's spiritual or not, religious or not, big or small, have you ever had a moment where you finally saw something that you hadn't seen before? The point of the story, the point of the Magi story, the reason we read it at Epiphany every year, the reason we bother to celebrate the season of Epiphany, that it's important in our lives of discipleship, is because this story means to communicate to us that the world had an epiphany when it saw Jesus, that God revealed to the world that he had sent his king. And the Magi are the, just the perfect example of that. They're, they're the ones who live it out and kind of show it to the rest of us in microcosm. God brings them from far away. I mean, they lived physically far away. That's literally true. I think it's also symbolically true that they were spiritually far away. I think we're meant to see that too. God calls those who are far away, and he brings them to honor the king. And they come, and they have to ask some stuff. They don't know everything. They didn't even know where Bethlehem was. They didn't know that part of the prophecy, apparently. So they go to people who don't, do know the Bible. The people who know the Bible tell them, and they don't go themselves. But the Magi go, and they bow the knee before the king. And it was an epiphany for them. In a different sort of way, but a very important way, is also an epiphany for Herod and the leaders of God's people Israel. Uh, they were much closer, right? I mean, they actually lived in the city of Jerusalem, the city of the king, where the temple was. They knew the scriptures. They worshipped in the temple. Seems like they were spiritually much closer. And yet, when the light shined on them, it revealed where their true loyalties lay. That was an epiphany for them, too. It's Epiphany Sunday right now for us. It's Epiphany Sunday. It's a day where we remind ourselves or we read the scriptures and the scriptures teach us again that it is God's desire and God's plan that Jesus would be king. That Jesus would be king over this world. That he would beat back the powers of the corruptive, corrosive powers of sin in our lives. That he would save us from the power of sin that wrecks our homes and wrecks our families and wrecks our communities and wrecks our view of ourselves and view of one another that destroys our relationships, that God would save us by his king from the power of sin and save us also from the consequences of sin now and forever. It's a story that tells us again that Jesus is king and that this is God's plan and that it is God's plan that we know about it. It is epiphany. It is a revelation for us. This is what the story is trying to teach us. And we all encounter that revelation in different ways, right? Some of us, maybe some of you, are encountering this revelation, this light, kind of in the position of the Magi. Where you feel like you're coming from kind of far away on this deal. Maybe it's a new year and, and you're giving God another chance and you're trying to reconnect with God and God's doing a new thing in you. Maybe Christmas was just the beginning of what God is doing in the rest of your life. And now here you are. There's a lot that you, just like the Magi, still don't know. There's a lot you still don't understand, but you're responding to what God has done in you. And God bless you for that. You're, you're seeking Jesus and, and you're on the right track. Maybe now is even the time in your life when you just bow the knee before Jesus and say, I believe in you. I believe in your vision for my life and I have hope because of your vision and your grace for the world. And I'll, I'll just figure the, spend the rest of my life figuring out all that's going to mean for me. 
You know, I, I kind of, th- this shine series that we're doing through the season of Epiphany for the next six weeks or so is going to be an opportunity for us to just read some stories from the life of Jesus and different encounters he had and lessons that he taught. An opportunity to continue to learn more about the life and the character and the grace and the power and the love and the vision of Jesus for the world and the vision of Jesus for human life. I I hope that if you're encountering this revelation, this epiphany, kind of like the Magi, that this series could even be kind of full of little epiphanies for you, learning about Jesus, uh, learning about the, the character and the grace of the salvation of God in Jesus Christ. I recognize also that some of us encounter this revelation that, that what we're dealing with is more like what the religious leaders of Israel were dealing with. That, that, that some of you, many of you perhaps are, are like me. You're like an already kind of an insider on this deal, right? You, you, you know some religious stuff and do religious things, and maybe you could even find a couple things in the Bible if you had to look them up. And yet here when the light shines on us, God convicts us in our heart that we have not bowed the knee to Jesus that we have set other priorities for our life, that we have other visions and plans for our life that we have gotten from other sources, that there are other priorities in the world, other stories in the world that we are conforming to, but we are not being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And maybe what epiphany is for us is just shining some light on that, and light sometimes can be illuminating, and sometimes light can be glaring and harsh, and maybe you feel a little bit of that. Maybe right now what God is doing is speaking into your heart and mind, just saying it's time to bow the knee. It's time to give this area of your life over to me and, and live and obey the way of Jesus. I'll tell you, it's, it's a hopeful thought for me, honestly. It's a very hopeful thought for me. Because I, I want to live in a community of people who believe this and live this. I mean, that, that's a hopeful thought. Because there are other would-be kings in the world besides the one that God has revealed to us in Jesus. There, there are world leaders. There are wealth leaders. There are idea leaders I read their clippings, I read their books, I listen to the speeches. And then I read the story of Jesus. And I read the teachings of Jesus and the parables of Jesus. And I want to live in a community of people and in a world that recognizes that Jesus is king. Because God is doing a new thing in him. And God is beating back the powers of darkness that break our lives and promise us life but deliver us death. God is promising us grace. Maybe you're in a place in your life where the hill you are climbing is steep. Maybe it's the consequences of some kind of sin in your life. Maybe it's the consequences of some kind of brokenness that you just happen to be in the crossfire. And God has promised us the king who cares about us. He says, take my yoke on you for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Cast your cares upon Jesus for he cares for you. That is the kind of king that God has sent into the world. And that is the kind of king that I want to serve. It is a hopeful thing. I want to live in a community of people who believe that God is way out in front of us, that he does not have to check with us first before he starts doing his saving work out in the world, before he starts leading more people to Jesus. And we just, I just want to be part of a community of people who are looking for God out in front of us, who are saying, God, what are you doing in this person's life, in the life of this friend, family member, loved one? Is there any way that I can serve them? God, how is it that there's hurt going on here and I can bring healing and hope, gentleness, grace and mercy? God, is there, is there someone who's lost and struggling, someone who's alone? Can I be your hands and feet in this place? I'll just, I want to serve you, God, because I want to see you bring more and more people to a saving knowledge of the king. I want to see your will done in this earth. I want to see your kingdom come. That fills me with hope. That fills me with joy. It's a beautiful vision. I praise God for it. And let's pray together for God to make it come true in us. God, we love you and we praise you because you have saved us. 
because you have loved us, because you have sent Jesus to be the king of this world. And God, I'm, I'm tired of being king of my life. And we are tired of being king and queen of our own lives. We submit to your rule. We want the goodness that you have for us. And God, we, we, we say in this place, we say with our mouths and we say with our hearts that we bow the knee before you and you are king and we submit to you. And yet even as we say that, God, I know that I'm ready to get back up off my knees and walk my own way. So God, I pray that by the power of your spirit that you would break our hearts and that you would do your will in our lives even when we barely know that we want it, even when we can hardly see it. God, we want your will for our lives. And we are so grateful for your salvation. We love you, Lord. We pray lead on. Amen.